bodyguard, huh? I uh, might be able to help you out. You don't understand, mister. I need protection from the scariest guy in town. Here's his picture. <laughs> he doesn't look so tough. I tattled on him, and now he wants to strangle me with his diabolical hands. I hope they're not dirty. <laughs> Ahoy, mateys, and welcome aboard to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your host, Captain Eric, and welcome aboard to episode 127 of the show, SpongeBob Meets the Strangler. And before we meet the Strangler today, we got some SpongeBob news, and I figured I'd try this out right before we get into season four, a little bit of a of an ongoing change of the show, but instead of hopping right into the episode, hey, if there's any updates on, on SpongeBob or anything to go over, we'll go over it here at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Smite, a free-to-play game, has had a Nickelodeon crossover going on over the last month or so. Um, this is not a promotion for them. Uh, I just want to say that I have been playing it and enjoying it to an extent with the Nicktoons included, but... I am I am not really happy with the idea that we have access to the voice actors of these characters still uh, alive and well with us, but they're not being utilized. So that that's really one of my only complaints of the crossover thus far. Um, other than that, I don't know if there's anyone else out there who plays Smite, but is there just no in-game voice chat? Is it a game like Dead by Daylight where... They're, they just don't have in-game voice chat, and you have to be in a party chat. Uh, I, I gotta say, out of the, the dozens of matches I've played, I have talked in all of them, and not once have I heard anyone say anything back. So, um, I mean, I know it's my settings on both the computer and Xbox, so I know it's it's fine on my end, but I just don't know if, if people, uh, you know, they're not talking in that game. I don't know if it's me or the game. Uh, I don't know. I do know across the board... Gamers do not talk in multiplayer games as much as they used to, at least in public means. You know, whether or not you're in a Discord or a party chat is different. I feel like when I was playing 360 multiplayer games, I would always find people in just public voice chat. Now it feels almost like a rarity when you find one person. So, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it thus far. Definitely, it's a free-to-play game, so I would I would give it a shot. I know that... Pretty much like every three games you play, they just give you a free uh, reward of the Nicktoon event, whether it's an announcer pack or a, or a profile picture. So uh, so have some fun. Enjoy that. As far as SpongeBob-specific news, I know that there was a recent update for Minecraft and the SpongeBob DLC that comes along with it. Um, currently on my channel, I don't cover video games um, in a, a consistent means at the moment. Um, eventually Captain Eric will have full playthroughs, uh, of pretty much every single Nickelodeon game I can get my hands on, um, SpongeBob in Minecraft being one of them. That also would probably have its own episode of the Squarecast whenever, whenever I get to the more recent episodes. So, um, if you have Minecraft and you didn't already know that exists, definitely check out the trailer. Uh, there have been a ton of Easter eggs both in the trailer and found within the game thus far. And uh, I have to imagine that since even Shelly, SpongeBob's second pet, rarely even makes most iceberg SpongeBob videos, that there's a good chance that there's other deep-cut references within the Minecraft world of Bikini Bottom. 
that haven't been found yet. So I'll get in there one day. But for now, let's get into today's episode, SpongeBob Meets the Strangler. It is the first half of the 60th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on October 11th, 2004, only a few weeks before the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. It was actually the last episode to premiere before the movie came out. Uh, this alongside Pranks a Lot, its sister episode. Uh, it was written by Paul Tibbet, Ken Osborne, C.H. Greenblatt, Meriwether Williams. Our storyboard artists are Zeus Servez, Chuck Klein, Carson Kugler, and Mike Roth. Our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet, Kaz, and C.H. Greenblatt. Our animation director is Tom Yasumi, and our creative director is Derek Dryman. Right out of the gate, this episode is making a statement. This title card is is one of my favorite title cards in SpongeBob history because a title card can certainly elicit an emotion from the get-go by just a piece of music or the colors they're they're choosing. They can kind of almost tell you what kind of episode you're in for. And they really wanted you to know that SpongeBob is in danger when it comes to this episode. We're going for an impeding piece of music. We're going for a very spooky title card. And just the title alone meets the Strangler, a threat so powerful that he actually has to be named in a title card, which has only happened with one other antagonist in the show, Plankton. Now, some of you out there would probably be yelling at your uh, your speakers right now going, no, no, no. Flats the Flounder was named as the bully in that title card, but the bully is is not specific enough. A bully can come from anywhere. It doesn't tell you who you're meeting. You just know, okay, we're going to be dealing with a bully in this episode. The episode wasn't called SpongeBob Meets Flats the Flounder, putting an exclamation point on who he's meeting. No, he just was going to be meeting a bully. Whereas in both Plankton and in this episode... Our antagonist at hand gets named front and center at the beginning of the episode, setting the stage for uh, the rest of the events. Now, unlike Plankton and unlike the bully, SpongeBob takes the Tattletale Strangler in a completely different direction than what we've been used to up to this point in the show. Uh, Plankton, SpongeBob was very naive. He was very naive in in accepting Plankton, and even in that first season, there was a weird relationship going on between SpongeBob and Plankton of SpongeBob really trying to maintain a, a friendship with Plankton, but, you know, obviously Plankton always just moving forward ahead on his one plan and one plan only, stealing the Krabby Patty formula. When it came to Flats the Flounder, SpongeBob once shown the threat was avoiding the threat the entire episode until he found out that the threat at hand was not necessarily a threat to him at all. He ended up, you know, because he's a sponge, was able to withstand all of the attacks from Flats the Flounder. And because of those two previous situations, we now have the Strangler here, who, right from the get-go, imposes an immediate physical threat to SpongeBob, uh, even more so than flats, because it's not—it's not just physical uh, uh, strikes that the strangler is going for. He is going for uh, strangles. He strangles you. And although SpongeBob can withstand a bunch of punches, 
we really don't know if SpongeBob can withstand a strangling. He's still a sponge, and we have seen him stretch in many episodes, and I uh, failed to see how you can really strangle a sponge when uh, their whole point of existence is being reamed out of water and then forming back to shape. Uh, But he does have a, a structural system inside of him somewhere, and if the strangler is somehow strong enough, we have seen SpongeBob break bone before, so I'm sure he could cause some damage, but once again, we, we have never, you know, dealt with a, a strangly-type character uh, up against SpongeBob, who pretty much at this point has realized his abilities in this world and has taken on foes like the Tattletale Strangler in a Bugs Bunny type of way. Uh, this episode and the way SpongeBob is reminds me so much of the way Bugs Bunny would... Uh, handle foes like Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam, Rocky and Muggsy, which one of my favorite episodes there of uh, Bugs Bunny messing with a couple of antagonists. Uh, SpongeBob very much gives off some prime Bugs Bunny energy, and we'll get to that in a moment. As the episode starts out, though, we are shown that SpongeBob, his his on-time rating is apparently 100%, but there's something we actually have to talk about here when it comes to SpongeBob and his uh, on-time percentage. If you go into any job, at least in America right now, there is this mentality that if you, you know, show up to work or you are ready to work or you clock in at the time that you are scheduled at, like that exact time, you are technically late to work. You will literally have people tell you, even though you are clocking in at your scheduled time and ready to go, that because you're clocking in at that exact scheduled time, you are technically late, and that for you to be on time, you have to be to work 10, 5, even sometimes 15 minutes earlier than your scheduled shift. Uh, It depends on who you talk to, but uh, they'll tell you that. And SpongeBob here literally goes against that to the T where he does not clock in until that second dial is at its scheduled time. And I gotta say, as long as you are an employee of SpongeBob Standards, and I know that you are going to get right to work right on that second, clock in at that exact second. I don't mind. Squidward is right there ready to clock in on time too. I mean, he's only mere seconds beyond the scheduled time, and as we're told, the on-time percentage for Squidward is actually hovering around 12%. Uh, I would say that today is a rare day where he is on time. I don't I don't care that it's a few seconds. Uh, I know that there are those out there who would say, oh, if you're willing to give a few seconds, why not give a few minutes? Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, I'm just going to say Squidward is on time here, and we are just seeing one of the rare occasions where Squidward is on time at the Krusty Krab, even if Mr. Krabs would say different. As the day starts at the Krusty Krab, SpongeBob decides to take on litter duty outside, and uh, I might as well just take this time and say, if you are someone who purposely litters, who goes out of your way to be a litter bug, I don't want to just call you a terrible person and negate all of the possible positive qualities that you may have, but if you openly, purposely make that decision, then that decision itself is terrible. 
Now, there's one thing if it's an accident, you know, or if it's happened once in your life. Look, it, it happens. Uh, trust me, I've littered when I was seven. Oh, you're all guilty of it. Don't even get me started. No, but get out of here. Don't even with that. You're all guilty of it. I, I'm no different. It's happened. But if you're an adult and you're still purposely doing it, especially to the extent of the uh, litter bug over here, the strangler, then uh, yeah, yeah, you deserve to have the cops called on you once in a while. But we see SpongeBob dealing with an apparent litter bug in the front of the Krusty Krab, just throwing wrapper after wrapper after soda can all over the floor, almost in a purposeful sense, as if they wanted somebody to tattle on them if they maybe needed somebody to strangle. Well, that's what happens, because as SpongeBob discovers the source of all of the littering, he finds this man giggling to himself in his car while he's just throwing trash out of it. I don't know if he's just eating the food legitimately, or like I said, he is just purposely causing a mess knowing that somebody might might call the police on him. But SpongeBob comes over and and doesn't mince words. Like, hey, you're, you're causing a mess, get out of here, move along. And we get our first look at a character that we will eventually know as the Tattletale Strangler, voiced by the one, the only, Thomas F. Wilson. Now, if this is your first episode of the Squarecast and you have no idea who Thomas F. Wilson is, you might know him from a little trilogy of movies called Back to the Future, where he is best known for his role as Biff Tannen in the trilogy of movies. But beyond his role of Biff, Tom has gone on to voice in a multitude of animated projects, including a few well-known episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants, including an episode, what is it called? Uh, the Bully, where he oh played a character known as Flats the Flounder. Wow, can you believe this? Uh, he did such a good job with Flats, and I gotta say, even though you can absolutely tell who you're listening to if you have watched this episode and The Bully, he does bring a little bit of a different edge to The Strangler, where he just comes off a bit more menacing. Like, Flats had almost a flat, monotone voice and was certainly menacing at times, uh, but The Strangler, the, the voice that Tom brings is is his A-game. This is everything. This is the main event of, of antagonist voices that we've had up to this point in the show. Uh, it will be rivaled by the time the SpongeBob SquarePants movie comes out, but... But for the show's purposes up to this point, this is this is a plus in the in the villain department. And SpongeBob approaches the Strangler, tells him off about the littering, and the Strangler can only respond with, like, what are you gonna do? Call the cops? As if that's what he wants him to do, which of course is something that SpongeBob has already done. To be fair though, as much as everybody wants to label SpongeBob a tattletale. If somebody out there is legitimately doing something to this extent of littering, call the police. Don't call the emergency line. You can just call the general police line wherever you are. But yeah, let somebody know. Or if there is an emergency, don't be afraid of that term tattletale, even if you're younger. If you're at school and there's something going on, let a teacher know. Let a principal know. Don't let that label uh, dissuade you 
from from calling out those who deserve to be called out. Now, if you are someone who just tries to nitpick every little situation and tell on on people for every little detail, okay then, yeah, you know, tone it down a little bit, pump the brakes. But for legitimate situations, don't let the term tattletale move you away from doing the right thing or being a good person. Just just do it. Just do it. Um, but that's exactly what happens as SpongeBob calls the police. They were already on the scene ready to arrest this guy. And boy, do they arrest him. Because it's one thing to just throw uh, handcuffs on the arms of an individual that you perceive as dangerous. And you also might want to handcuff their legs. Uh, but they just cuff every bit of the strangler that they can. Down to his eyeballs. His hair gets handcuffed. They even bring in a comically hilarious large lock that they attach to the front of the strangler, which honestly is probably just a padlock that fell from the uh, the surface world that they just they have for these situations. But they throw every single handcuff that they have available in Bikini Bottom to arrest this guy. They know exactly who he is, and they're not arresting him for any of his littering. They're arresting him because he is the Tattletale Strangler, a man who, up to this point, I imagine, has not seen a day behind bars, and that he probably at least has two to three individuals under his belt for the police to take him this seriously. Now, according to the police in this episode, they have had him in custody once before, and that not only is the Tattletale Strangler an expert strangler to some regard, but he is also an escape artist, because not only was he able to escape a previous occasion with the police, but during this time, and especially with all of those handcuffs and locks that they put on him, he was still able to escape the police car. Even after SpongeBob was was told they, they got him, he's everything's going to be fine, SpongeBob has nothing to worry about, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, the police do not have the strangler in custody as he has completely escaped every single handcuff and lock that they had placed on him. And this was during a time where they were reassuring SpongeBob that everything's going to be okay, he's just going to be locked up, you don't have to worry about anything. And right after, it is obvious that he is gone. And knowing that his name is the Tattletale Strangler, it would be pretty obvious that he would be going after SpongeBob. But when SpongeBob pleads to the police that he needs help, he is met with a response of, we ain't bodyguards, kid. And then they basically make fun of him for being a tattletale. Like, the only reason you almost had a chance at getting the tattletale strangler was because of SpongeBob calling you. Why would you make fun of him? And also, I know that the police aren't necessarily bodyguards in the way that it's presented here. But if you have a legitimate threat against you, and there's evidence to the point that the police had the person going after you in custody and then they escape. Um, I believe the police have some regard in assisting you. If, if it's legitimate and you have the evidence to, uh, to assist you, but, um, hate to say it, but there are times out there where there have been people with legitimate situations pleading for help and, and not receiving it. And in some cases, as with SpongeBob here, having uh, a full load of evidence 
as to why you would need the assistance of the police and then being turned away. That is not a statement on police in a general sense, because any of those issues go down on those officers and those dispatchers who choose to listen to those pleas of help and then make that decision to not help those people asking. That's that, Those are the individuals that I would say are more at fault here. And for these officers to know the severity of the tattletale strangler um, and to then not assist SpongeBob is a, is a real is a real bummer. Is a real bummer and makes SpongeBob have to fend for himself in this situation. But let me tell you, with that Bugs Bunny energy that we had mentioned earlier, he has more than enough capabilities on his own to handle the so-called Tattletale Strangler, who had made a promise to SpongeBob through some amazing drawing skills that he was going to get his dirty hands on him. And once SpongeBob realizes, all right, it's go time, I have to get ready, this guy is going to come after me, I have to get some protection, and goes to the strongest character that he knows, Mr. Krabs. Which makes me pause for a moment and wonder why SpongeBob wouldn't immediately run to Sandy. I don't know if he just keeps forgetting that she is, you know, the strongest character in Bikini Bottom, or maybe it's just ever since the Alaskan bullworm, SpongeBob has just lost confidence in going to Sandy for assistance with massive creatures. Um, I, I don't know why, but he goes to Mr. Krabs, who tells us that he is a five-time Golden Claws winner from the Navy. Congratulations, Mr. Krabs. But once he finds out that it's the Tattletail Strangler he's going to have to tussle with, he uh, pulls a filbert turtle and descends into his shell, uh, frightened by the thought of having to deal with that guy. Uh, he's clearly a well-known character in Bikini Bottom. It makes me wonder how long he's been strangling around the area for him to have such a notorious aura of him. But uh, SpongeBob decides to go to a few other creatures around to see if they are willing to be his bodyguard to protect him from the incoming doom. He goes to Larry the Lobster next. You would think, okay, now it's time for Sandy Cheeks, but no, Larry the Lobster, who, you know, just like Mr. Krabs, definitely doesn't want to deal with the Tattletail Strangler. Neither does this random construction worker who hops on his jackhammer to ride away once, once again, once he finds out who he has to deal with. And we immediately then go to this outside shot of what appears to be a second bar in Bikini Bottom that is themed after being rugged or tough because we have already met the Salty Spittoon in a previous episode and now we have the Tough Tavern in, in this episode. Uh, I think it's really funny that there's two of them in town, like probably competing with one another. The the Salty Spittoon and the Tough Tavern, they probably have their, their set of regulars or I got to imagine that the Tough Tavern is filled with all of the guys kicked out of the Salty Spittoon. They just opened up their own bar. And and vice versa, the guys who are then probably kicked out of the Tough Tavern mosey their way on over to the Salty Spittoon because it's the only other place in town. There's there's so much there's so much potential to be found between these two different places in Bikini Bottom. I don't know if it's ever been ever been fully brought to its its complete potential, but maybe one day. Uh, I, I just love that, though, that an entire bar just empties. Nobody in town wants to deal with the Tattletail Strangler. Um, so it's it's funny that it eventually becomes SpongeBob who 
almost intentionally wants to deal with him, which leads us into the next meetup of SpongeBob and the Strangler as he's contemplating who could he possibly get to be his bodyguard. And he runs into the Strangler who is sitting on a, uh, a bench in Bikini Bottom wearing a very terribly fake handlebar twirly evil guy mustache that he wasn't previously wearing. Now, at some point during this interaction, SpongeBob very clearly becomes aware that he is dealing with the Tattletale Strangler and just decides to concoct this entire plan in his head of dealing with this guy for the rest of the day. I don't know if it's right when he meets him that he knows, oh, this is the Tattletale Strangler, like he's able to see past the fake mustache, or if it's right when the Strangler hands over his bodyguard license in which he has crossed out poorly, by the way, Tattletale Strangler and just wrote bodyguard. I, I think concretely at this moment, SpongeBob is smart enough to be aware of the Strangler. Like he does before the end of the episode, he does make it slip that he knows he's dealing with the Strangler here. So I don't know if it's right at the beginning, right when their conversation starts, or if it's right when he hands over the bodyguard license that SpongeBob is able to tell. But either way, at some point during this interaction, SpongeBob is able to realize he's dealing with the Strangler and then is able to to pretty much just play along with the fact that he doesn't know the Strangler is right in front of him and that he thinks that he's dealing with some bodyguard that's going to protect him from the Strangler. Uh, it, it's a really fun sequence here, and especially with everything that comes afterwards, uh, knowing that SpongeBob is in complete control over this situation and dealing with this extremely individual, it's it's really fun to watch. But one thing I do want to mention about this sequence that I absolutely love is the up-close shot of the Strangler's arms as they come out of frame when SpongeBob mentions that his, his big concern over the Strangler is is the possibility of him having dirty hands. And we get, like, one of those up-close paintings of the Strangler's arms. It's, like, that quality, but then over the animation of the Strangler kind of laughing to himself. It's one of my favorite animated shots in the entirety of SpongeBob of these of these first three seasons of the entire show. I, I love that moment. It's so funny. It still elicits a nice laugh out of me when I see it. Even though I know it's coming, just... That visual of seeing those hands come out of frame and the the laughter of the Strangler, certainly one of the highlights of the episode. Uh, now, before we can get to the bodyguarding of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, he does have a few errands to run around the town. And of course, hey, since you're my bodyguard, can you can you please join me on these errands? And this is all the waste time. SpongeBob knows he's dealing with the Strangler. And he just has to waste time because he also has some future plans in in mind dealing with this guy that require uh, them to be away from SpongeBob's home. The first of which is shopping at the Bargain Mart, where we are met with the age-old question, what paper towel brand is preferred? The best paper towel around or the best paper towel in town? If I was in that situation... I, I wouldn't go with the both option. I would want to make a stance here. But depending on the town I was in, would would benefit the best-in-town paper towel than the best around. If I was not in a good setting, 
I would just go with best around because they don't want to be associated with this town. But if you're in a really good town, a town like Bikini Bottom, I, I don't know. I might want to see what their best paper towel has to offer. Or we can all just come to the conclusion that, you know, sometimes brands, it really doesn't matter. It does matter sometimes. Like sometimes there are just like name brand products that are objectively better than the the store brand ones. But for the most part, something like paper towels, you can honestly get away with, with some even, you know, dollar store brand paper towels just for quick cleanups or cleaning or whatnot. Uh, you don't need to go all fancy and quilted with your uh, with your paper towels. But SpongeBob here just decides to go with both brands, better safe than sorry. The next step on his list of errands is to head over to the dry cleaners to pick up his square pants in quite possibly my favorite joke of this episode and, and one of my favorites of season three where the uh, the dry cleaner handing over SpongeBob's very obvious square pants and SpongeBob just wasting time staring at him, not really sure on whether or not those are his pants. As the Strangler just loses his mind, standing behind him like, oh my god, could could we just continue on with the day so we can get back to your house? Next on the list of errands is, for some reason, a trip to the perfume store, which I, I got to imagine is a nice little callback to Shanghai. Maybe SpongeBob, after going through the perfume department, decided, you know what? I actually liked a few of those scents. I'm going to go back for more and, and decided to add this on his shopping list. And now that the list is complete, it is time to head back home, as SpongeBob has promised the, the best place to be while, uh, while needing to hide from the Strangler was to be at home with all the lights shut off and for his bodyguard to be there. Which, which would, I guess, be a decent situation, although I would, I would much rather be in a public setting to be away from the Strangler instead of putting myself at home. Even if I found a bodyguard I thought had my, my best interests, I'd rather have that with me in public. Hey, it's like two Band-Aids on top of a wound instead of one. I, I don't know if that necessarily helps, but it, it can't hurt putting two on there. Uh, you know, just, just going home and then having the bodyguard that already puts yourself in a, in a bit of a rough situation. But as we already know, SpongeBob knows that this is the strangler and knows exactly the situation he's bringing him in. He's been planning this all day. And even in this moment, right as they are in front of the pineapple, SpongeBob lets it slip, uh, that he knows he's dealing with the strangler. He accidentally calls him the strangler instead of calling him bodyguard, and even said, oops, sorry, takes it back quickly. Now, SpongeBob has accidentally locked himself out of the pineapple, which is a problem, as the Strangler really wants to get inside and just strangle this guy and get it over with. He notices a window on the second floor of the pineapple is open and tells SpongeBob to hop on his shoulders so that he can get into the window. SpongeBob takes pretty much another uh, Bugs Bunny-level approach with the Strangler by jumping not on his shoulders, but in his eyes. And not just wearing his own shoes, but wearing spiked cleats because it would be better to get a grip with those spiked cleats than with his regular little shoes. And I got to I got to agree. Yeah, that's uh, that's some sound logic there. Uh, but he, of course, is messing with the strangler. He knows it's the strangler and is torturing him, uh, not just in his eyes, but has the cleats stuck in his corneas, which I got to imagine is not a great feeling. Um, but we get a nice callback here as SpongeBob jumps out of this guy's eyes 
to remember, oh yeah, I leave a key under the doormat, as mentioned previously in Party Pooper Pants. And just like in that episode, we walk into SpongeBob's Pineapple to a surprise party celebrating SpongeBob's 100% on-time rating at the Krusty Krab. And the Strangler, right as he was about to get his hands on SpongeBob, is none too happy about this. Now, we learn to find out that SpongeBob orchestrated this entire event himself and sent out invitations to everybody with these exact plans in mind, knowing that they would have to throw a party for this 100% on-time rating, possibly even telling everybody that this is a ploy to mess with the Tattletail Strangler and to, you know, almost, you know, pre-warn them that, hey, this guy is going to be involved in some way. This guy's going to be in the house. Now, the Strangler is not really, you know, tortured by this, uh, this wait time, more or less just falls asleep through the entire party. So although it's a really fun, hilarious way to waste more time, and to just get everybody involved to throw a party, it, it's not as torturing of the Strangler as I would want it to be. What is torturing, though, is the fact that right after the uh, the morning is done and everybody leaves from the party, uh, by the way, I want to point out one Sheldon J. Plankton leaving this party with a bloodshot eye. Now... I don't know what was going on overnight at SpongeBob's house, but it's really cool that they were able to get Plankton away from some evil doings for a night just to just to come and celebrate the occasion of SpongeBob's on-time percentage at the Krusty Krab. But uh, but yeah, I'm noticing that uh, that eye Plankton. What's going on there? Anyway, everybody leaves the house, and right after they leave. Everybody comes back right as the Strangler is about to to get it on with the Stranglin' because it is SpongeBob's birthday. Happy birthday, SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, well, apparently the flyers that were sent out to say, hey, come to my party, my surprise party for my, my rating of the Krusty Krab. It also must have mentioned, hey, when the party's done, leave my house and then just come right back immediately after to celebrate my birthday, and let's throw a whole nother party all day and all night all over again. SpongeBob SquarePants is a party animal, and everybody, including Squidward, seems to be in the best of moods during these parties. Uh, It seems like a great time, and he has learned his previous mistakes from Party Pooper Pants in throwing a successful party because he has now thrown... Two parties back-to-back successfully, flawlessly. From the looks of it, the cops weren't called. He wasn't locked out of his own party. People didn't want him out of the room, so I consider that a success. One thing that made me laugh during this uh, second party is when the Strangler goes to sit back down at SpongeBob's chair, we get a what I call a classic fart noise right when he sits down. It's a noise I feel like I've heard in so many different cartoons, and it's the one fake fart noise that I legitimately, I love. So it just, it makes me smile anytime I I hear that one specific fart, and the one right here, for some reason, just makes me laugh. I, it, it just, it's placement. I wasn't expecting it, and every time I watch this episode, I forget that it's there. I probably will forget about it again, even though I'm recording this episode right now, and I'm talking about it more so than I ever have in my entire life, I'll probably still forget that that fart 
is uh, is a part of this uh, this episode. But yeah, the Strangler, once again, just sleeps through the entire party. The difference after the end of this party, though, is that Patrick has decided to stay a while and hang out at the house, which which isn't unheard of. I've thrown plenty of parties, birthday parties and otherwise, uh, growing up as a teenager, young adult, and, you know, when the party is all said and done, sometimes your best friends just stay around, and, and that's almost like an after-party in your own right. The one thing about Patrick here, though, is the Strangler is not having it. He is not having anyone else around while he gets his business done, um, and calls Patrick Tubby right here in this episode, and I thought it was weird knowing how affected Patrick was the last time that somebody called him Tubby. And you'd think, well, this time around, Patrick's going to get called Tubby, he's going to show his brute strength and beat up the Strangler. We unfortunately don't get to see that, but we do get to see more frustrations out of the Strangler as he is finally fed up with SpongeBob and his antics, enough to pull his fake mustache off to reveal to SpongeBob that he is not a bodyguard, he is in fact the Tattletale Strangler. SpongeBob does not show his hand at this point. He doesn't let the Strangler know that he is still playing him and continues to play that he is a bodyguard and asks him how he was able to uh, to shave his mustache without any shaving cream. And once the Strangler yells at him that this is a fake mustache from a party store, everyone from the previous parties returns back in SpongeBob's house because I guess SpongeBob is such a party animal that when anyone utters... The word party in his home, it just occurs. Well, I'm sure it was a part of the plan to just wait outside of the pineapple after the second party and just wait for the Strangler to reveal himself before going on to have a third party. But the Strangler is now fed up with SpongeBob. He is fed up with parties and runs right out of the house, gets out of there all the way to the Bikini Bottom Airport, which we are seeing for the first time in this episode, and gets on a plane to get away from Spongebob. Spongebob, though, is not that hard to get away from as he is everywhere the Strangler goes. From inside of the plane, from once he jumps out of the plane, Spongebob is magically his parachute and is still intent on staying with his bodyguard to stay away from the Tattletale Strangler. And this cat-and-mouse chase leads us all the way to where the Strangler locks himself in prison to get away from from SpongeBob SquarePants. And in a background way, I think this was SpongeBob's plan from the beginning. Hey, if the police aren't going to help me, well, then I got to do this myself. And I don't know if he realizes this, but I mean, if there's one character in Bikini Bottom that would make any madman, any antagonist go absolutely bananas and would make them want to be in jail, it's SpongeBob. Uh, it makes me think of that that opening scene of Sponge Out of Water where to torture Plankton, Mr. Krabs tells Spongebob a knock-knock joke because he knows that the laugh is going to annoy Plankton enough to tell him what he wants to know. So I don't know if it's Spongebob pulling the strings here or the police in a way knowing that, you know, maybe the reason that they didn't want to help him in the first place was knowing that Spongebob is the most annoying creature in Bikini Bottom, and if there's anybody that'll make the Strangler want to come to jail, it'll be going after SpongeBob. Maybe they know that, because they congratulate him here as, as you know, hey, you've successfully helped capture the Tattletale Strangler. Uh, SpongeBob doesn't really let it known to the Strangler that he knew the entire time, 
right as the episode is ending here, right as the Strangler is accepting his fate behind bars, he is relieved that he doesn't have to deal with SpongeBob SquarePants anymore, only to look behind him and see that he has Patrick Starr in his in his cell. He is his cellmate, and that he's going to have to share some time with him. And, and hey, you might have gotten away from SpongeBob, and now you have Patrick to deal with. And that ends SpongeBob meets the Strangler. It is certainly a nice way. Now, let's just, for the sake of argument, say that SpongeBob was going to end with the third season. And this was it. This was the first half of the last ever episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. It's nice to see that even though we would see some heroics and some some management skills from SpongeBob in the movie, but for the purposes of the TV show, to come full circle and to see SpongeBob handle a a threat like the Tattletale Strangler in such a classically cartoony way, and for him to have the confidence he does dealing with the Tattletale Strangler, it's it's a sight to behold. And it's nice to have this, you know, right at the end, right before we would go on to to other pastures of SpongeBob. But but for Steven, this this was pretty much it for him. These were his final few episodes. What stories do you want to tell while you're still here? Well, I'd like SpongeBob to deal with another antagonist, but I'd like for him to kind of have the upper hand the entire time. And even though we we fear for SpongeBob, I mean, do we really? We've seen him deal with Plankton. We've seen him deal with Bubble Bass, the Alaskan Bullworm, Flats the Flounder. And you really think the Strangler is going to be able to do any more damage than any one of those characters from any previous episode? I don't think so, and it was it was really nice to see some of the decisions they had here. I love all of the up-close shots of the maniacal laughter of the Strangler and SpongeBob when it has those deep purples. It's no secret that purple is one of my favorite colors, uh, so of course I would love any of those backgrounds, but when they choose to just have those really artistic, evil shots of the of the Strangler laughing, it's, it's just some of my favorite moments of this season come from this episode right here. Uh, it's one of the ones that stands up there for me. I don't know if it's a top 10, but I would say with confidence, it is definitely in the in the upper end of season three. And with that, it's going to be the end of today's episode. Uh, for the rest of the season, for those that don't know, I just want to continually lay out the roadmap here uh, for season three of the Squarecast. Next week is going to be the final episode of SpongeBob's third season pranks a lot, followed by the week after we are going to have the season three rankings, both audio and video dropping the same day. I'll have that date official by next week's episode. Uh, After the rankings, we will be covering the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. I'll be covering that in some way, uh, some special way that is more so than just a regular episode of the Squarecast, uh, just me going over the plot of the movie. It's a long movie. We've seen it all a bunch of times. I'm going to cover it in some way. And then the week after, I'll be having an episode about the SpongeBob SquarePants movie Rehydrated, the project that I was a part of. I'm sure those of you have listened to a few of my podcasts surrounding it, but this one's going to be completely different. There'll be more on that to come. It's just going to be a one-week episode on that before... We honor Steven Hillenberg and move on to season four of SpongeBob SquarePants. And with that, that's our time together aboard. Thank you for being a part of the Ready Crew. 
You can reach Captain Eric at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBobPodcast. Please check out my other podcast this week in Nickelodeon history dropping every Sunday. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel where you can also hit that bell for notifications so you can know whenever the captain puts something out. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects go directly back into my projects and it is always appreciated. As always, Ready Crew, please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. At least I'm safe from that yellow idiot. Hey, Mac. What are you in for?